you know, originally I had written a uh, big-ass speech for our first episode of Heart Attack in 2017, but as I read through it now, it seems kind of hollow, almost kind of full of shit. So I'm just going to wing it, talk to you folks right from the heart, no pun intended. It's a new year. In 2016, our rallying cry of the show had been, hey, it is time for we the people to rise up and to give them a serious fucking heart attack. And you folks did not disappoint. In all the bitching and moaning about the year 2016, what has been lost is that we the people have been rising. We the people have been speaking out. We the people have been bringing truth to the news media. And we, the people, have made a difference. We have stood up. We have made our voices heard. And now in 2017, they are going to try to divide us, to conquer us, to beat us down, to trick us, and to get us to fight each other. But I say to you, we will come together. So stick it to the man by loving stronger, laughing louder, living your life the way you want to. Because I will tell you folks, this is our America. This is our America. Welcome to the very first heart attack of 2017. I am Hart D. Fisher. I'm damn glad to be still on the air. It's been several years, actually about five years of doing a segment with Josh Hadley on the What the Fuck Show, and here we are on a episode number 123 of the full-length heart attack. Folks, I'm very happy for everybody who's been contributing to my GoFundMe program. We are almost at 20% of our goal. Over 81 people have contributed. Almost a thousand shares have happened. The the campaign is trending, whatever the fuck that means. And I really appreciate everybody's help. I appreciate the comments on Facebook. I appreciate the people that have been buying my comic books as part of my emergency room uh, fund. So thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. You guys really sent me into the new year feeling I felt loved. Oh, my God. I felt so loved and appreciated. <laughs> Well, folks, we got a barn burner of an episode here. I want to get right into it. Uh, we're welcoming back Art Tavana, who is a columnist for the LA Weekly, and actually a really interesting dude, a, a very uh, forward-thinking guy, a tough music critic, doesn't take any shit, stands up for himself, and that's something I really respect, because sometimes Art's opinions are not that popular. And when you're the guy who says the uncomfortable truths, or you have your own voice, that could really rub people the wrong way. An artist has had that issue. He's been roasted on Twitter, but he stood up. He stood up. He never fucking bent over. That's fucking fantastic. So, Art, welcome back to the show. And, dude, you have my respect. Thanks, Art. How's it going? 
It's going pretty good, man. Viewership is up on American Horrors. We just blew past 71,000 accounts added to our Roku channel at AmericanHorrors.com. Uh, now my movie, The Garbage Man, is up for, uh, it's online for video on demand, and it's on Roku for video on demand at the Grindhouse channel, and you could rent it on uh, AmericanHorrors.com. So I'm, I'm pretty excited right now. I'm feeling pretty good. It's going to be a good year. Brilliant. And by the way, everything you just said about me, right back at you, because you're kind of the same, and you don't take shit from anybody, so I respect that as well. Well, I, we had a blast the last time we talked, and what the people at home don't know is you and I talk, we almost talk more off the air than we do on the air discussing different things. We're like, uh, we don't think the public's ready to hear this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. yes, that's, that's definitely true. Well, we'll get it. We'll get as much as we can out this time and maybe save some for later. Yeah. So you're a columnist at the LA weekly. How long have you been writing for the weekly? I've been writing for the LA weekly since 2012. I've been properly a columnist there for about a year and a half. Um, and, you know, long story short, my column was actually, killed by the weekly and, and canceled by the la weekly following um an article i wrote about sky ferrera but they still have me on board for like a regular basis so i kind of i'm still technically a columnist there so things are still good we're still on we're still on, i'm still part of the family so you're still writing on a regular basis for him absolutely yeah and didn't you have a like a cover story recently um not recently i had two cover stories in 2016 one on sasha gray yeah that's recent on, dude um, yeah, it was it was in the summer, and I had one literally literally the same month. It was on Lauren Alice Avery, who's this really interesting Malibu heiress, like seventh generation Angelino, like comes from really old money, and really fascinating story on her. But yeah, two cover stories. The Weekly's great. I got nominated for a press award, LA Press Club Award, because of a story I did for the Weekly. So they're cool. You know, we're 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 better now than we've been in the last couple months. But you know, it's been a tough road since. The Sky Ferrer article because there's been a lot of sort of you know discussions between us and them and you know it's it's tough writing for a publication that's that's a corporation and has a lot of sponsors and advertisers when you're someone like me who really doesn't like to be censored and kind of speaks his mind so it's been a, it's been a challenge but they're cool they're good people so you know things are good it, it's a tightrope when you're a professional writer uh, especially when you have yeah, aspirations to do more than the usual you, you're you're a, a type A guy. You're not there just to get by. You really want to kick ass, and that can throw people right. off. It can throw people off. And I think, you know, we last eight years, maybe even longer than that, we've kind of been in this weird situation where speaking your mind and being politically incorrect is no longer fashionable, and it's kind of not part of the media kind of milieu. I guess it mm -hmm. was for a while. I remember, like, in the early 2000s, maybe the mid-2000s, there was this kind of trend towards you know writers got really popular for kind of being uncensored and just being kind of caustic hunter s thompson exactly I mean, can you imagine hunter s thompson writing in this age oh no that guys like hunter s thompson christopher hitchens i mean anybody who really spoke their mind and did, didn't censor themselves for like careerist ambitions are no longer capable of surviving in the current in my opinion in the current media like climate there are some like underground media channels where you can kind of be honest and be yourself but i think it's gotten very challenging thankfully the la weekly just because of the fact that i do deliver some pretty great numbers for them have pretty much let me say whatever i want for the most part mm -hmm. um i do think there's always going to be quote-unquote censorship right whenever you're writing for a corporation you can't really just say whatever you want because they, well that and they're they're, 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 they're paying you. you you're doing a job and the way i call it is I, sure. there's a time when i'm a mercenary and when i'm a mercenary I do what I'm told to do. Like, I'm getting ready to sell off a bunch of my old Chaos comics that I wrote, uh, the Dead King series. And the guy who, uh, Brian Polito, 
he made me write for him in a way I never wrote before because I had worked for myself and the other companies I'd worked for didn't demand it. But he wanted like a, a, a paragraph of a plot, an outline, a bigger outline, a rough draft. He'd give his notes back. Second draft, he'd give you his notes back. Third draft. That was really different for me. And but I did it. And there was I wrote kids' stories and I had certain things I couldn't discuss or say and it was a, it was kind of fun to discipline myself. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what it's like being a journalist. And I think people have this misconception of and it's unfortunate, but I do think it's the way it should be, the way journalism should be is the the writer should be able to write everything they truly believe based on their research and their findings and then the editor should just check grammar and put that thing out there. But unfortunately that's not the world we live in. The editors have a lot more say in the article and the final product. And, you know, another unfortunate reality is the editors have a lot of say in these things, but, you know, when when the when, uh, like, things happen where you're ashamed or attacked or cyberbullied on Twitter, it's never the editor's fault. The I, uh, so this is a dark thing. And, it yeah. is. I, I grew up during the, the politically correct era of the late 80s, early 90s. I went through the PC generation then. I'm seeing the same thing happen. And my freshman year mm-hmm. of college in 1987, I got a gig to write an opinions column for the university paper at the University of Illinois, the Daily Illini. And so I wrote this opinions column, and I was let go after six months because I got the most hate mail. (laughs) And so they let me go because they didn't like my opinions. And that was it. Even though I got the most response, I was the most dangerous, and I talked about taboo subject matter, you know? Uh, So I I feel you, but... What are you going to do, man? Hey, before we, we get into the rest of the stuff we were talking about off the air, mm-hmm. uh, whatever happened with that whole thing with the arcade that you were working with at the, at the mall? Mm, so kind of, there, I, I don't really have a major update, but having been, you know, the story got out. I did a radio show on KFI morning, a, a Sunday at 6 a.m. It was an entertainment radio show. And, I and heart attack, show, thank and, you. Heart attack, thank and you. And I did heart attack. And the, and the word got out, man. I mean, the word got out, and people came to the arcade, a lot of bloggers and a lot of different people who read the story for the LA Weekly or heard your show or, you know, various outlets came mm-hmm. to the arcade, wrote about it, took photos. The word spread, and right now where we're at is the leasing company who decides who stays in the mall is negotiating with the arcade. Awesome. So that's kind of, it's kind of, a, yeah, there's kind of a holding period right now. So I think what's going to happen in my best guess would be the arcade moves um, to a different location, kind of in the mall, a little bit in the arc- inside the mall, I think, and maybe downsizes a little bit because of size sure. restrictions and, you know, pays probably higher rent. Right. Um, because, you know, per- to be perfectly honest, and I don't want to say this because I know Jim, Jim, Jim and Susan are, Love their arcade. They're really good at it. They, they, they've created a really fun place, but I don't think the arcade would, would survive without the mall. And that's just my opinion because of the foot traffic and, you know, the fact that arcades aren't really. I agree a with you. Thing. No, I, I yeah, agree I with you. One hundred percent. That's awesome. Awesome. Fuck yeah, Art. So you fucking did it, brother. You fucking went out there. You fucking made a noise. Fuck yeah to all these people that tell you to shut up. Oh, nothing changes. You can't change nothing. Why go to Standing Rock? What's that going to help? Well, fuck yeah, we could make a difference. Fuck yeah, the people can make a noise. Good job, Art.
Welcome back to Heart Attack. I'm Hart D. Fisher, and we're going to get right into it. Yeah, that's right, folks. We're going to talk about Rowdy Ronda Rousey, who's somebody that uh, I've been a fan of for a while. I, I first discovered her, actually, because of her mother, and Maria DeMars, who's been a frequent guest on Heart Attack and a person that I really respect. And I, I would run into Ronda at the dojo I was training at, which was Gokor Chavichian's Hayastan MMA Academy. Check them out online. They are Fuck everybody else. They're the best grappling jujitsu uh, dojo in Los Angeles, bar none. They're the best, and that's also the home of the legendary Gene LaBelle. And Gokor's been on the show. He's an old friend of mine. I gotta tell you guys, I trained there since 1996, and uh, a lot. I've seen a lot of crazy shit there. And you know, to me, Ronda was this girl training there, and I, you know, didn't really know her, and she would. Everybody's training, everybody's doing their thing, everybody's getting ready. And this is around the time when she was getting ready to fight in Strike Force. And then one day, Anne Maria showed up as a guest uh, instructor because Gokor brings in talent from all over the world. Amazing talent. You never know who's going to show up to teach you stuff. One of the dreams come true for me, Art, was getting kicked in the face by Bill Superfoot Wallace at Gokor's. <laughs> if you're a Chuck oh, yeah. Norris Force of One fan, then you know who Bill Superfoot Wallace is. Anyway, Rhonda. <laughs> I'm, I became a fan, you know, I, I got to know her a little bit more through her mother, and I got to know her family. Uh, I've, I've talked a lot with her sister, Maria Burns Ortiz, who's the author with Rhonda of her book, what was it, My Fight, Your Fight, which I thought was uh, pretty pretty good prose. I, I liked her writing on that, uh, nice and punchy and immediate. And so I got to, to, to become a real fan and have like an inside seat on this stuff throughout this career. I didn't know her as a judo person. I knew her as an MMA person. So, Art, how did you become a fan of Ronda's, I guess, work? <laughs> so, like, I've always been a fan of UFC and just MMA, but not in a hardcore way. I was more of a pro wrestling fan. Gotcha. And through, through wrestling, I kind of heard about this girl who you know, started using Rowdy Piper's nickname. I think she properly asked Rowdy Piper to use the name at one point. Yeah, because Rowdy is a friend of Gene LaBelle's. Uh, quick one, I got to have Rowdy Roddy Piper as a grappling partner one night at oh Gokors. Yeah, dude, I'll tell oh you. Oh, my God, really? Dream Holy come shit. true. He was my grappling partner all night, and he was fantastic and super cool. I mean, he was, like, easily, like, if I had a top five list of pro wrestlers, he'd be, like, one or two, so there you go. Oh, and his daughter's um, cool, too. I met her also. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that's, essentially, that's how I found out about Ronda Rousey. Then, uh, you know, I heard she was training in Glendale. I lived in Glendale at the time, and the Glendale Fight Club was like a block away from my place. Oh, and dude, I, like, I used to eat it Eat Well all the time. It was what? Eat Well? Oh, yeah, Eat Well. I love that diner, dude. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for me, it was like, okay, so she was like a local girl, you know, and she was just badass, and she was kicking ass in strike force, and I wasn't really paying attention because... You know, I don't really pay attention to, like, the deep cuts of MMA, like Strike right. Force and Bellator and things like that. And then I'm like, well, whatever. And then, you know, she got into the UFC, and I was like, this is going to be cool. She'll probably be, like, another Gina Carano, because I thought she was, you know, I thought Ron, the, the appeal of Ronda Rousey, I think for most people, and I, I know most people don't want to admit this, I think the appeal to her is she's, like, a more believable Gina Carano because she has a, the Olympics pedigree. True. And she's this really genuine, actually talented fighter. But yep. she's also really pretty really beautiful and watching a beautiful woman beat up like women who aren't, aren't as beautiful as her was appealing and it was fun and well it, was it wasn't like, i would say whole. that it's she has a beautiful smile when she really smiles it just lights yeah. up the room and then when she's angry 
it darkens the fucking room. <laughs> yeah. And her mom's the same way. And, and, and from a pro wrestling fan perspective, that entrance with the bad reputation. Oh, fuck uh, yeah. Jet, mm-hmm. that, uh, the look on her face was like this a- anime character, like this vicious, like, it was just, um, it was just fun. And her entrance, like, I went to, I went to a Hooters, the buddy of mine, and we watched the um, Kat Zagano fight. And I was like, well, whatever. I mean, Ronda Rousey, you know, this will be fun. Who knows? She just, like, destroyed her in 12 seconds. And it felt the same for me as when I was a kid, and I remember watching Mike Tyson pay-per-views, and it was like, holy shit, you got this, like, adrenaline rush you've never gotten watching anybody. I think Ronda Rousey, for me, for my generation, at least for a few fights, was like Mike Tyson. So that was how I really, like, got into her. So, yeah, that's my story. I I really feel that Ronda had a savage grace that men didn't have. Mm. A grace and a fluidity (laughs) you didn't see from the men. And what I would say is that I know the inside. So what I could say is unlike right. a lot of the other people she was competing with, Rhonda had been trained trained by a pedigreed group of master martial artists. She when she had I think it was a, a broken leg and Manny got the key from Gokor to let her into Gokor's dojo so she could hang out at the dojo and watch all day. Mm-hmm. And Manny would come in early and let her in. You know, and it's a family thing. And so she worked with the legendary Gene LaBelle, you know, and it's Gene that's going, yeah, backstage she was throwing Manny into the ground like she was trying to kill him (laughs) Uh, with the judo (laughs) throws. And and so she had this amazing pedigree of instructors from around the world she trained with. Her mother revolutionized judo. Most people don't know her mom had ripped out her knee. And so she changed mm. how judo was done. And they, I'll go ahead and say it, in the dojos they called her Broken Arm Annie because I believe she has nine arms. <laughs> okay? I love that. And love she that. trained with Gokor in the 80s when they were both training for the Olympics. So this goes really far back, and she's like a, the first child of it. And she grew up in this, and she was really dedicated and to me, that's the sadness of the last couple of events is that mm-hmm. we feel that she's completely lost touch with the original. Because the idea was the judo set up the strikes. The judo right. set up the strikes or the strikes set up the arm bar or drew somebody in. And then she got into her head to become a striker. And frankly, I, I originally started doing taekwondo. I started training in mm-hmm. taekwondo in 1987. Uh, in Champaign, Illinois, and my instructor was uh, second-degree black belt from the Korean Army demonstration team. So I was, I was lucky. I got to train with really amazing people. Guys from the uh, Olympic Taekwondo team were at our school. I trained with them. I trained with the Ho brothers that were the guys who did the original stunts in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle suits in the first movie. And they were world wushu champions. And so I, I've been very blessed in who I've been to train with. And so I saw that. With Rhonda, she trained with all these amazing people. And when you train striking, dude, it takes a long time to develop the timing and the power. And you have to condition your body to take the hits. Do you know what I mean? And it takes a while. It takes a long time. And then there's things that you don't, you can't do anything about. Like, I've been blessed to find out that I have a very thick fucking head. I have a very (laughs) thick skull. And I could take a fucking shot in the face a kick to the head, I've had my ribs broken, and I drove myself to the hospital with broken ribs in a 79 Camaro with broken shocks. Man. That was a horrible, dude. (laughs) 
but scary. So <laughs> I feel that Ronda's super tough, but to try to just go and adjust the striking with professional strikers that have been doing it their whole lives the way she did judo her whole life, I don't know, man. I don't know, and I, I can't blame it all on Edvin. I can't blame it all on her coach because ultimately Ronda makes her own decisions, and she has her mother who's been screaming at her like, hey, you got to get rid of this guy. He sucks. And all these other people right. around her screaming at her. But frankly, part of what got her to the top is she's stubborn. <laughs> Seems like it. Oh, she is, dude. But how could you achieve what she's achieved if you weren't? Exactly. All great fighters, all great athletes are stubborn as hell. So there you go. So you as a viewer who doesn't do martial arts, what what do you think of the last couple events that she's had, her last performances, and, and just getting, frankly, just you know, turned into jellyfish by the last fight was just so sad. And any of those people online yeah. that say, oh, they called it early, you guys are assholes. She was out on her feet. She was a stumble bum. It was, uh, that stoppage yeah. was totally right. No, I agree. Look, I mean, I think when I first watched UFC, it was when there were no weight classes and shit like Hoist Crazy was going Me out too. there. And, you know, so that was kind of, you know, it was, it was a bluff sport. And it was awesome. And it was cool. And I, I kind of wish it was still that way, but... I feel like what happened was, and this is just my theory, and I think someone wrote about this, but I've kind of always thought this about Ronda. She's a pioneer. Yes. She kind of, you know, invented the idea of women in UFC at this high level and made it so much more interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened was all these different women, like, you know, Nunez, all these different fighters, like Holly Holmes, really vicious strikers and really vicious just fighters in general kind of became, you know, were forced to mature and more forced to become better fighters because of Ronda. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she was ever designed to be in the same league with some of these women who are just like physically. So I mean, you want, and I hate to say this is probably me being ignorant. So stop me if I am. But like, no, I wanted your opinion. This, this and here's the thing: this is your opinion. It isn't wrong. Right. It's your opinion. And fuck everybody <laughs> who wants to say you're not allowed to have that opinion. Well, fuck you. It's my opinion, and like an asshole, I get to keep it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, you look at the photos of people like, you know, Cyborg and Amanda Nunez and these women, and then you compare them to Ronda, and it's like, you're looking at, these girls look like monsters, and Ronda Rousey looks like a normal girl. And to me, it's like, well, in my mind, I'm like, well, there's, she had no chance. The physical, like, I don't know, evolution of the women's division compared to Ronda and people like Misha Tate, who look like normal women, and as sexist as that may sound, compared to these other women like Cyborg and even Amanda Nunez, who look like, you know, physical freaks almost beasts you know and it's like you're putting her in a ring with these girls and you know what she used to do if you remember ronda was never in my opinion she was never a good striker i don't think she is a great striker but what she would do is she would take these punches early on in the early fights she would take five or six punches to the face and then she'd you know do her judo throw and that was it and she'd be in the arm bar and that was in the fight now what actually dude she never she normally didn't get hit much it was really rare for her yeah, to really get hit. And frankly, dude, like you said about the size, that's important. Beth Cohera, m- smaller than her. Uh, what's her name? Yeah. Uh, her original, Liz Carmouche, smaller than her. A lot of these opponents were smaller than her. And also, like you said, I don't think the talent pool was as wide because it was brand new. And I'm going to throw a wrinkle in there, dude. I think that there's another issue here where now people have grown up focusing on Ronda and trying to beat her and having more and more fight footage to watch and more and more to train for. And also I'll take it to that level of, you know, desire. And and they have been focused on winning against 
her for years. And that's pretty tough to exactly. deal with. That's tough. Well, it's the same thing that it's the same exact thing that happened with Mike Tyson. I mean, if Mike Tyson had not gone to prison, mm-hmm. I, I personally think I personally think the same thing would happen to him. He would, yeah. Well, he lost against Buster Douglas. He probably would have lost a couple more fights. He would have, you know, faded off into obscurity. And it was the same thing. A great, like, beast primal fighter who runs through their division eventually just gets figured out. It's like a math equation. And I think Ronda Rousey got figured out. But I think the tragic and the, the thing that bothers me and, like, hurts my feelings the most, I feel like at some point, I don't know if it was before Holly Holm or maybe right after Holly Holm, something happened, like, psychologically that threw her off. Because you look at, like, you just look at her. The way she talks, the way she, like, responds to questions in the media and, like, the photos of her, the way in and everything. It just there seems to be, like, this cloud hanging over her where she, she lost her confidence. She what? doesn't really believe in herself. And maybe she's, like, losing control of her personal. I don't know what it is. It what like I would say her. to throw in the mix is that as fame comes to you and as you rise yeah. up the ladder, it attracts a lot of yes men. And her mother talked about this, that she was worried for her. She talked about this a year and a half ago, that she was worried that she was being surrounded by Hollywood vampires and people that had yep. no interest in telling her the truth. If you're Rhonda's manager, if you're Rhonda's fight coach, there's no financial incentive to tell her the truth. You start telling her what you think she wants to hear to keep your job, to keep your place in the right. social order. I saw it with the rock stars I've worked with. It's happened to me in my no own question. life, dude. When I when I was on TV, the shit flies come out. Every time I'm on TV, these weirdos show up. And as things are uh, rising for me with American Horrors and I'm doing more film work, dude, I'm getting those shoe flies, man. And, and you got to be able right. to see through it. And she's young. This is her first brush with fame. And frankly, Rhonda came from a dark background. She's got a big hole in her dealing with what happened to her father, her issue of not being able mm-hmm. to talk as a child, and all her dreams coming true with this. And I, I would say that I would agree with her mom that that Hollywood trap, and Joe Rogan's talked about this, that Hollywood trap comes. And it's not just you lose focus, but too many people are feeding you your own bullshit and you believe your own bullshit instead of realizing, like, why don't you just go in there and let somebody hit you real hard and find out what kind of chin you have? Because it was obvious that first strike in the Amanda Nunes fight, that first straight down the pipe, right between the eyes, something about Ronda is she turns pink when she's hit in the face. Right. Have you seen that in other <laughs> fighters? Like, her face turns pink where she's struck, and then it gets red. The more she's hit in the face, there's like a red circle in the middle of her face, and her eyes change. The focus is gone. And she looks like a lost schoolgirl. All of a sudden, it really changed. And then Amanda Nunes hit her behind the ear and really rocked her world, and she just was kind of like traumatized. And I'll tell you, when you're doing this stuff, you got to take a lot of beatings to be the best, and I don't. I don't know if she went through that in training. I don't know if uh, her coach did that to her. It's it's more than just putting on the headgear. When you're learning striking, dude, it took me four fucking years of heavy training to get my black belt, and that's when I just started to get good at using my hands and feet together. You get well, what I'm saying? You, brother, I, no, I'm with you on that. I, I think you know again the Hollywood aspect is she's a movie star, right? She's doing mm-hmm. magazine covers. She's doing film. You she was punch her in the face. She was awesome you know, on like, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, she's no, she's great. She's got a great personality. But I think in, in training sessions, no, you're I right. See her trainers, I could see her eight, or talent agent showing up to like the training, you know, sessions and things like that, and being like, okay, let's not, you know, let's not level her face, let's not right. break her nose. This woman's going to be in a movie next week, or she's going to be at WrestleMania, or on a cover of 
Sports Illustrated. Yeah. So I think that adds to me. But you know the thing is, dude. And wouldn't that add into the people around her, like her managers and publicists, they would have a financial incentive because they don't make money if she doesn't get that magazine cover. Exactly. I mean, Gina Carano all over again. But but the thing is, dude, at the end of the day, same thing with Gina Carano. She she fought Cyborg, got completely destroyed. But just look at the photo-by-photo comparison. Gina, I mean, like, um, Amanda Nunez's neck looks like it's three times thicker than Ronda Rousey's. I mean, like... (laughs) Literally three times. No, let me get three times thicker. I, I, I watched the photo on the way in, and even the photo of like the, the, the you know the UFC photos. And you're just like, how could some? How could a man? How is it possible that Ronda Rousey would ever beat this woman? It looks like a different weight class. She looks like a different human being. Her arms are longer. She looks more yeah. physically like freakish. I mean, how could she possibly beat this woman? I think that's what happened. I think the the, the division, whether it was natural or you know whatever um, whatever training techniques they used, evolved beyond her. So quickly that she was just like stuck in this weird situation where she was like, "Well, I can't even compete anymore." And then, then you know, Hollywood came in and she kind of mm-hmm. lost her edge at the same time. So that's why she looked so bad, I think. But you know, it sucks. I love her. I hope she does better. But I do too. I. <laughs> I don't know what she's going to do. Uh, I don't bother her mom about it when I talk to her mom. I'm talking business. Sure. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very happy for the success they've had with 7th Generation Games. I have a lot of respect for her. And, you know, the people that run Armbar Nation, I know them. They're really nice. They're Rhonda's uh, fan club. Uh, and they've been really cool to me, you know. And Rhonda's done a lot of work for charity. So, I mean, a lot of work that no one talks about. They just don't want to talk about it they'd give her her credit they'd rather bitch and moan because she's got a big mouth and i gotta say i'm sickened by all the right. hate online there's a lot of hate yeah there's a lot of nastiness towards her i don't know if it's people are just jealous but you know she's playing a character that heel character she's playing was a pro wrestling thing and yeah she's doing it to sell tickets and people are taking it personally like oh she's a horrible human shut her let's shut her up and no dude she was doing it to sell tickets and She's a businesswoman, and everyone took it so personally. And like, there's all this nastiness. And she's and got Jean LaBelle in her corner. She's got Jean. Jean is not the yeah. nice, nicest human being in the world. I got lucky that I got to know him as an old dude. You know, when he's mellow. Uh, Gene was giving her, like, wrestling. Like, he was a wrestler, a pro wrestler. And he's going, you know, be more of a heel. You want him to hate you. And Gene was exactly. coaching her to do that shit. And she didn't want to go that far. But Gene, you got Gene the Bell in your ear. You know, take it further. <laughs> yeah, and that's how she became big, though. Like, you know, yeah. if Ronda Rousey wasn't being who she was in those early matches, the personality, the heel personality, she would not have been as big as she was. But... Yeah. You know, and you know, she lost, and then it became let's destroy her. You know, and we live in an era now where social media and you know, I see Cyborg tweeting all this shit. One thing I do want to say is, mm-hmm. I, I've never, there's never been a fighter or an athlete in my entire life that has been as dislikable as Chris Cyborg for me personally. <laughs> and it's not because it's not because she's not talented. She probably is very talented, but like it's very obvious from every day I've talked to and just looking at her that she's probably at one point in her life used steroids. Oh, without a doubt. Fine. Without a Which doubt, she's I mean, used steroids. Without a doubt, right? I mean, and that's the world we live in. These athletes, they do that kind of shit. But for her to go on Twitter and then to publicly, like, talk about Ronda Rousey, like, she's scared of her and she doesn't want to fight her because she can't get in a ring with – it's like, dude, no. Nobody, people don't want to fight you because you look like you're a monster and you're on steroids. Like it's, it's And it's she turns down bad. a lot more fights than the public knows. She's turned down a bunch of fights from the UFC – uh, for things, and she can't make the weight to fight Ronda. If Ronda's the champ of her weight class, 
you must come to her weight class. You don't get to call her out and say, you got to put on more weight. No, she's the champ, and she could yeah. not physically get to that weight class. She can't do it. So she should shut her fucking mouth. It's like me. I'm well, 250 pounds. Do I need to run around bragging that I could beat up this small guy? It's stupid. Yeah, it's stupid. It's dumb. And the thing is, and the, to your point, it's not that she can't make the weight she doesn't want to because she no, no, she physically cannot. She's, she's too big. She, she cannot. cannot. Yeah, there's some videos of her. She <laughs> nearly killed herself to get to 240 for that catchweight fight she had on the UFC. Well, well she grew her all that testosterone she took and right? added her into some freak, and she can't lose. Well, here's the thing. You know, she's a freak, and and I'm not saying that to be hateful of her. She doesn't look like a normal... It isn't hateful for you to say your obvious opinion. Look at the fucking bitch. She's a steroid monster. That isn't yeah, That isn't like being mean. It's the truth, motherfuckers. <laughs> and when she goes on social media after... The thing I hate more than anything... And look, here's the thing. Even... And this is going to sound really kind of horrible to say, but even when they like, beheaded Saddam Hussein, or when this kind of shit happens when everybody gangs up on somebody. My philosophy is always like, I can't... I don't like, I don't like that. I don't like the whole... But everybody kicks someone when they're down and shit. It's like when Ronda lost, it's like everybody on social media, oh, here we go. Of course, she sucks. She's not right. she's a manufactured champ a manufactured marketing scheme by UFC and Dana White, which is complete bullshit. It and is. And there's all this kind of like hate directed towards her. I'm like, dude, no. This ha- the same thing happened to Shamrock and the Gracies and all these people in UFC. The minute the the, the, the fighting technique evolved, those guys were all you know, done. They couldn't yeah. keep the new generation because, and it wasn't because they weren't great, but it was just like they couldn't, you know, evolve. It was just the game passed them by. Ronda. The game passes yeah, you by. And again, dude, Ronda Rousey's neck. I have no idea on the measurements. <laughs> compare, compare her fucking neck to Amanda Nunez. You're comparing like Frankenstein to like a, a you know schoolgirl. It's scary, and it's like, how do you think she's gonna? How could she possibly win? It's like me fighting. You know, a professional football player or something. There's no chance of me winning. Even if I have all the skill and all the technique, he's going to crush me because he weighs, you know, 60 pounds more than me or has bigger, you know, arms and. A neck well, that's and where I come at it from the the other direction. I I say that that's the whole point. Like I was attracted to the martial arts because it was about the person with the superior speed, technique, and ability was able to defeat the bigger person or more than one person, and that's something True. that attracted me to it. And I felt that. Uh, the thing that, that uh, Rhonda did for women is that she kind of empowered them and they could see themselves as her and see themselves accomplishing what she accomplished and seeing themselves kicking ass the way she did with a grace I've never seen from a male fighter. And on that note, since mm-hmm. I'm sounding a little bit gay, we're going to cut to commercial. We'll be right back. <laughs> You'll never see Me and my boss 
of the righteous or the path of the sinner. So when the black car pulls up and that door opens and Satan extends his cloven hook to you and asks which path you've chosen, you tell him I've chosen the left-hand path. Yeah, the left-hand path to Welcome back to Heart Attack. I am Hart D. Fisher, of course, and off the air. We're, we're always talking too much off the fucking air, you guys. Uh, dude, you were going off on social justice warriors and these wannabe feminists. That because there's right. Rhonda. Rhonda was great because she was outspoken. She said what she believed, even if it pissed people off. It wasn't all a pose. Rhonda can be quite mean. Her mother's mean as fuck. Rhonda can be mean as fuck. And frankly, she wasn't just provoking reaction. She felt that way. And she was going to talk the way she wanted to talk because she was a self-made woman. And no motherfucker was going to tell her what she could or couldn't say. And I really respected that about her. And now you got these social justice warriors and these Twitter trolls and fem... I hate to use... I hate to use it, but it works, these feminazis. It's a Rush Limbaugh right. term, and I did the Rush Limbaugh Must Die comic book. Thank you. So I think his term of feminazis does apply to this non-feminism. Real feminism is about strong women doing what they want to do no matter what men say. If you need protection from men, you're not talking about equality. You're not talking about strong women. You're talking about, oh, we got to keep them from being victimized. Why don't you make the women strong so they can stand up to the people and say, fuck you, because you got to stand up to a bully. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's been this unique experience, the weekly, because I've been writing about everything, right? I've written about feminist punk bands. I've written about bands that people think are, quote-unquote, misogynist, like Guns N' Roses, you know? And, like, I've gotten shit from both sides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the greatest... The greatest learning lesson for me after I wrote this article about Sky Ferreira, which was, I thought was like this lovable sort of fluff piece about this artist that I thought was a pretty cool pop star. And, you know, I wrote it from a sarcastic, almost, you know, I thought it was humor. Mm-hmm. But I think people are so fucking humorless in music journalism. I think music journalism has evolved because of the last eight years. And, you know, and, and God bless the Black Lives Matter movement. But, you know, because of that and because of, the third wave feminism kind of resurgence in the music scene. It's kind of evolved into this very, very politically correct, humorless, dry, and really kind of nasty universe. And I think look at article, look at the way they've attacked comedians. Look at the way they make yeah. comedians miserable. And you can't be funny if you you have to dare to fail. You have to dare to tell a bad joke to find your way to the good one. Well, exactly, and I think that, you know that's a, that's a point I made on Facebook a few weeks ago, and I got so much shit for it. But it <laughs> was that the politically correct social justice warriors are basically destroying comedy in the popular kind of cultural—not the clubs, because you can never censor the clubs. 
but they are kind of destroying it at the popular sort of cultural level with shit like Amy Schumer. And I like Amy Schumer. I think she's a cool chick. I Dude, I thought her young. first season was fucking hilarious. I was an Amy Schumer fan for a while, and then I saw as she yeah. became famous and realized that she had an effect on people, she became socially conscious, and then she <laughs> wasn't funny anymore, just like Tina Fey. Bitch ain't funny no more. She ain't yeah, funny. Exactly. You know, the thing is, like, people, people, people don't understand. And wait, well, let me qualify. She was funny. I thought Tina Fey was fantastic. Her book is in my office bathroom, and this is going to sound cool, right. but I read it whenever I'm taking a crap because I reread it and reread <laughs> it, and I like it. And it's not meant to say it's awful. It's my favorite bathroom book, but she's not funny anymore. Well, none of them are. I mean, it's not just women; it's men too. I mean, I think this, this weird thing with social media and the explosion of it where it's like, oh, well, if I, you know, create an, uh, an audience, if I create a loyalist in this genre of people, well, I'm going to get so many people to come to my shows. And they've all become kind of political activists. Like, like it all started, I think, with The Daily Show. That yes, dude, yes. And yeah, it all started with this idea that comedy is a platform polit for political kind of a, an agenda to push forward. And that's okay. It's always been that way to some degree. Sure. But I don't think people like Richard Pryor... Even fucking Bill Hicks, none of these guys were, like, party-centric, you know, politically driven, you know, basically, like, activists for a political Sam, party. Sam Kinison? But Sam Kinison. All these guys, I mean, they, were all, they all had their opinions, and, you know, you could argue that Bill Hicks was liberal, maybe, or you could argue that, you know, you know, whatever, Richard Pryor, I don't even know what his politics would have been, but, like, all these guys have their own political point of view, and they, right. you know, they talk about it, like George, George Carlin, for example. Yep. I mean, some of the shit George Carlin said, if you took the stuff that he said— and you kind of take his quotes and put it on Twitter or, or Facebook or anything, people will call you misogynist or, you know, a racist or anything like, things like that. But it's like, yeah. you know, what we have now, though, is like these comedians like Amy Schumer, um, even Sarah Silverman, who I fucking love, they've become, you know, Democratic Party, like, operatives almost on their, like, on their talking points. And it's like... When Sarah Silverman was on the Larry Sanders show in the 90s, she was wonderfully subversive and fantastic. Yeah. And the female writer that bucked the dudes. And she was great. She was funny. Her character was fantastic. But then there comes, all of a sudden, now she's political, and now she's running around talking politics and propping up Hillary fail Clinton. And, you know, like the girl from Girls, all of a sudden is going to be all political about Hillary. Oh, it's like, God. get the fuck out of here. Your show sucks. And I don't know how women would like that show, Girls, because I think it portrays women in a very demeaning light. Totally demeaning. Right. And the way that she treats male characters, the way she writes about, it's sexist as fuck. Because guess what, ladies? Right. If you're going off about testosterone, you're fucking sexist because that sword cuts both fucking ways. Well, girls is a funny point to all of it. I think it has something to do with the discussion at hand. But I like the first season of Girls because I like Tiny Furniture, which is basically the movie. I haven't that, seen um, it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, Tiny Furniture is basically Girls, but a movie version of it without any of the kind of pop culture right. annoyances that came with Girls. But it's a good, it's a good movie. I think it's kind of the basis of the of the entire show. But okay. I mean, yeah, that that show, and that movie was cool. I, I watched it when it came out, and I thought Lena Dunn was interesting. I never thought she was particularly funny. I never, I mean, to this day, I never, I never thought she was funny. But I, I don't think she's she funny. Yeah, I thought she was interesting. I never, I personally, never even thought Woody Allen was that that funny. But I, I don't like Woody Allen funny. either. Think, yeah, exactly. But you know, at the end of the day, they had they had a point of view, and it was interesting. But what happened with Lena Dunn? I think this happens with a lot of the, the, the unfortunate reality of the world we live in now is when people get overexposed. 
and you know way too much about their opinions and their point of view and who they are as a person, it kind yeah. of fucking destroys their art. <laughs> it can. I've been wrestling with that with my Facebook, and I've been wrestling with what I'm going to reveal about myself yeah. because I am an artist, and you do need a certain amount of mystery. If they know you too much, like... I've been pulling back on my opinions online about a lot of like movies and TV shows, you know, uh, that's like free for them. Like, why would somebody read an interview with you in Rolling Stone if they've already seen your Facebook for the last five years? Exactly. So that's exactly what's happening with, I think, Lena Dunham and you know, all this nasty shit came out about her and like she supposedly like sort of you know, possibly to some degree like sexually molested her little sister. Oh. Made about, yeah, I mean, she has all these weird stories she wrote in her book and I think the funny thing about it is... It like, fiction or non-fiction? Um, non-fiction, yeah. Okay. She writes about it in the book. It's just, she's open about it. It's not even a... But the, the funny thing, though, is it became this thing where it's like, if you don't like Amy Schumer, and you don't like Nina Dunham, and you don't like Beyonce, and you don't think they're funny and awesome or great musicians, you don't love these people, you're a misogynist, you're a racist, you hate women. And it's like, no, dude, I know so many more women who dislike Nina Dunham than men. Men don't even care. Men are sort of like, yeah. you know, kind of quiet about it. They don't give a yeah. shit. Don't, most men don't even care about Lena Dunham, but so many women dislike her. And it's not because she's a woman. It's because she just says really stupid shit and just is really self-entitled and just get, gets out there and just turns her nose and holds her nose like the working class in the Midwest and the South and thinks like, oh, it's all about New York and what I think about my little world. And if you don't agree with me, fuck you. It's just very fucking anti-diversity. Well, here's a question I have for you. You were, you were talking about corporate culture and being bent around by corporate culture. It seems to me that as, as the Tina Fey's and the Amy Schumer's, they start off as a really rebellious original voice. I, I liked them all. Super awesome. I loved Amy Schumer's destroying stand-up. Her last stand-up special complaining about you know, ideas of beauty in Hollywood was fucking boring and preachy and bullshit. But yep. I also think that they get to a point, too, where there's a tremendous amount of pressure from the money people that want them to become this thing that's more marketable for them. What do you think about that? You no think question. that's part of it? No question. I mean, when you look, when, when Tina Fey puts out a book, um, she, wants, she has to get on the news shows and daytime shows and all these different platforms and yeah, absolutely. It's like there's things that can be said to create an audience. And, you know, the, the truth is, and whether people want to admit this or not, I don't really give a shit. I, I'm a feminist, but feminism is a really popular thing to talk about. It's a great way to get a byline. It's a great way to get a headline in the media. It's a great way to get your voice out there is to become a feminist and to talk about feminist issues because it's so wildly fucking popular. I, so in 2011, mm-hmm. I was a columnist at this... <laughs> At Hello Giggles, I don't know if you know. What Hello no, you Giggles mentioned it on your last uh, your last appearance on Heart Attack. No, it's a fa- it's a, at the time it was a girl or female focus. It was what we used to call women's lifestyle. Completely outdated fucking term now, but it was a women's lifestyle blog. And right. It had like two or three guys writing for him. I was one of those guys. Never once, never once did I see an article on that on that website that had anything to do with the kind of feminism that's popular today. The mainstream sort of hardcore, you know, feminism that we're seeing on the, the internet today. Not once in 2012 or 2013. Last two or three years, feminism's become, in my opinion, it's like the feminist industrial complex. It's well, become this thing where it's financially beneficial and mm-hmm. it's really popular. So, you know. Also, I feel that there's a group 
in the government, because we know there's sock puppets online, and if the people at home don't know what a sock puppet is, it's a person who's paid to sway public opinion, and they will operate 5, 10, 15 fake online identities, fake Twitter accounts, fake stuff, and they will go uh, to different sites, and they will try to steer the opinion with these, oh, it's it's Ted Kaczynski, oh yeah, it's his opinion, yeah, that's right, this is what I got, but it, they're all fake people, and we know that there's a lot of journalists that are being paid on the Huffington Post for political reasons, so I would say that some of this feminism, I call it control speak, because they're trying to mm-hmm. control you, because if they control what you say, they control what you convey, then they control you. You understand? Exactly. So I think that there's oh, no, an agenda you. behind it that promotes this. Uh, it's a way to make men and women fight because there's nothing more powerful than you and your partner. And I mean that for a gay man and his his uh, lover, a gay woman and her lover, me as a heterosexual man and my wife. There is nothing stronger than that. And I think that the status quo and the corporate people that run the show have an investment in divide and conquer. And on that note, dude, Absolutely. we're out of time. Give, give me your give me your final thought, and then we're we're gonna go. Yeah, I mean, the, the final point is, I think there's this. We have to all be careful now with Trump as the president, and you know, I think hopefully free speech will have a better platform now. But we should all be very careful when we read all these these headlines and these news reports, and to do our own fact searching and research, and to kind of see the truth. Because you know what we've seen with like the Russia hacking headlines and the stories, and anything about. You know, the Coachella Festival this year and all this kind of shit that's coming out. Just do your own research. Find your own information because, you know, certain people in the mainstream media want you to believe stuff that is not necessarily always fact or even remotely true. So, there you go. This has been a Hearty Fisher production of a Hearty Fisher show from a Can I Get My Name in the Credits One More Goddamn Time production.